beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. Full of atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. The Scriptures speak to that Savior being sent into this world. A Savior coming to save His people from their sins. A Savior who would take upon Himself the wrath of God and redeem a multitude which no man could number from every tribe, tongue, and nation of the world. A Savior. We need a Savior. Every one of us needs a Savior. John is is clear in demonstrating the Savior, who He is and what He came to do in saving His people. This is important, and this Gospel of John is where we, we read of the I Am statements of Christ. That Jesus, and, and that's, you have to understand the I am statements as well. The ego a me is the Greek uh, word, the Greek, the two words there. And, and ego is the pronoun I, and a me is I am, the verb form. Jesus says, I, I am he. That's who he is. Who is that? What does that refer to? Well, it goes back to the Old Testament. It goes back to the, the book of Exodus, chapter 3. It goes back and it speaks of Moses dealing with the Lord and saying, who do I say that sent me? When I go back to the children of Israel, what do I say to them? You tell them I am sent you. He is the everlasting one. The one who is and was and who is to come. The eternal God. So Jesus is identifying himself as God. God incarnate. God come in the flesh to redeem his people. In the book of John, in the gospel of John, you have... The seven miracles, seven is a big to-do in Scripture, it's, it's perfection, it's fulfillment. You find seven miracles. You also find the seven I am statements that are all in the Gospel of John. You think about John chapter 8, I am the door. Uh, Jesus goes on, and he, or I am the light. John chapter uh, 10, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. John chapter 11, I am the resurrection. John chapter 14, uh, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 15, I am the vine. And here in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. This is who Jesus is. It's important for us to know his identity. When you understand his identity, then you know the purpose for which he came into this world. And there was always a problem that was going on with the Jews, with the Pharisees, with the unbelieving Jews, with the disciples, this constant conflict and turmoil that went on in that whole scenario as they tried to understand who he was. And they said this and they said that, and Jesus uh, makes the comment with regards uh, with Peter and says, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Matthew 16. Most important question that any of us could answer, isn't it? Who do you say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets, but who do you say that I am? That's the question for each of us, isn't it? Who do you say that Christ is? And Peter answers, and he says, well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the Son of the living God. That's who you are. And Jesus said to him, you're blessed, Simon, because flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father 
who is in heaven. That's a revelation from God. When you come to know and believe that Christ is the Son of the living God, that Christ is the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, you have been visited by the grace of God. God has changed your heart. God has raised you up spiritually. He's caused you to believe on the only Savior that He has sent for the redemption of sinners. It's wondrous, it's glorious that we don't just know about Jesus, but we know Him and we trust Him. I've used this before with you. It's always appropriate. It's great application. It's a tightrope walker. It's a man who walked down on a tightrope and he walked down with a wheelbarrow and he came back, he looked down at the man in the crowd. Do you believe I'm able to do this? The man says, yeah, I just saw you do it. He said, well, get in the wheelbarrow. You see, there's a difference about knowing about something and putting yourself into it, trusting it, entrusting yourself with all of your being into it. That's what we do with Christ, who is the bread of life. Now, when we just getting a running start, you realize that Jesus, in, in doing the miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, which, here, let me give you a lesson in Scripture interpreting Scripture. When you read the other gospel accounts, Matthew and Mark, it speaks of men only, speaking of counting the men, not including women and children. Which means that Jesus didn't feed just 5,000 people. It was probably more along the lines of 25 to 35,000. And you see and you understand the wonder of that miracle. But the people got fed. They got physical sustenance. And so they began to follow Jesus all over the place because they got their bellies filled. You know, we're not much different. And be careful when you read that account and you immediately distance yourself from these people as if, how could they do that? I mean, think about Matthew 28, when Jesus said that when he arose and he was standing before a bunch of the disciples and some doubted. How could you doubt? I mean, the resurrected Christ is right there in front of you because they did not have faith. You see, those that don't have true faith, they want the physical. Those that don't have true faith, they yearn and they long for the physical. And that's all that they have. That's all they understand. That's all that they chase. So you come and you have the bread and you have the wine. And to you, it's about how does the bread taste and what does the wine taste like today? Pretty tasty. I hope he gives me a little bit more than just what, you know, the little, the little thing they put in that cup. Why don't they go back to the common cup? Then I could really get a good slurp out of that. They don't go any further than that. So all you're looking at is the table with the bread and the wine, which is a sign and a symbol. Scripture is filled with signs and symbols. Christ is the fulfillment of all of them. When you read in the book of Genesis of Jacob's ladder, what do you think about at that point? Do you think, well, the ladder has come down so that I might climb up? No, the ladder has come down as a demonstration that God has come down to men. It's not for you then of your own strength and steam to climb your way up into heaven. I mean, Led Zeppelin sang the song, Stairway to Heaven, right? You work your way up to heaven. No, you don't work your way up to heaven. That's not what that means. 
Christ is symbolically portrayed right there with Jacob's ladder. He is the one who bridges heaven and earth. For us to get into the Father's presence, it's Christ. He is the one that we need. The Lamb. We think about the Lamb of God. Why was it in the Old Covenant when they would offer a lamb, they were commanded to offer a spotless lamb. Not one who was speckled or striped or with some blemish, but a spotless lamb. Because Christ was spotless. He was sinless. It represented Him. The sinless Son of God who would take away the sin of the world. What about the bronze serpent? What was the symbol there? You certainly were not going to get healed by a bronze serpent. It had no power to do anything. That wasn't the point. It was believing God. It was trusting the instrument that God has given. It was looking to Him by faith and doing whatever He says. You know, Martin Luther made a comment once. And I'm not trying to gross you out. I'm just simply going to tell you what he said. He said, if God told me to eat the dung off the street, I would eat it. And I know that it would be good for me. You see, it didn't matter by faith what God told you to look at. You did it because God said it. And when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. You look to Him and to none other because there is none other. There is no other Jacob's ladder. There is no other which beyond the bronze serpent who can heal us spiritually. It's Christ and Him alone. And so we have here the manna. The manna spoken of in Exodus 16 was the children of Israel, just like us, grumbling and complaining. Oh, we're more sophisticated. We grumble and complain about other things, you know. Now many of us are grumbling, complaining about food because we've got freezers stashed with food. We complain about other things though, but we complain, that's the point. So the children of Israel are being led out of the wilderness by the Lord, out of Egypt. And they're in the wilderness and they begin complaining because they have nothing to eat. And they begin railing against Moses and Aaron saying, have you brought us out here because there's not enough graves in Egypt? Why have you brought us out here? We're dying of hunger. So Moses prayed to the Lord and the Lord told Moses, stand back and watch the miracle that I will bring upon the children of Israel. And he rained manna down from heaven. And the manna was like a coriander seed. And it was pleasant to the taste. And it provided for the Israelites all that was necessary for their physical sustenance. In other words, everything that they needed to be supplied with all the nutrients for their body was found in the manna that God had supplied. You know, they still complained, didn't they? They complained that this, about the bread. And I mean, one of the most startling texts of Scripture is found in Numbers chapter 21. And it's startling because the children of Israel complained against the manna and they say this, that we loathe this worthless manna. 
Now you recognize that the manna was a type and a symbol of Christ. Because He is the true bread from heaven that gives His life for the world. In other words, if we are going to have life and sustenance spiritually and enter into the presence of God, it is only going to be through Christ giving Himself for us that bread of life. Now, bread was a staple in Jesus' time. Bread was that which was on the table of all the households. And it was accessible to all that were at the table. It was accessible and it was appropriate to fulfill their needs. It provided for them. So they all had access to it. And at all, they, with all of them, it provided exactly what they needed. So it is with Christ. Christ is the one who provides for all of our needs. And so here the debate goes between the Pharisees with Jesus here again. And they want to know what sign will you perform? I mean, the feeding of the 5,000, which, you know, 25, 35,000, that wasn't good enough for them. They wanted more. They were always seeking for signs. And Jesus says, you know, an adulterous, sinful generation seeks after a sign. None will be given except the sign of Jonah. What's the point there? Go back and read the scriptures. If you don't believe the account of Jonah, neither will you believe the one rises from the dead. Because it takes the working of the Spirit of God through the Word to cause one to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Miracles, signs, and wonders never bring faith to an unbelieving heart. They want more and they want more and more. And so they followed him only for the bread that fills their bellies. You know, Paul said in Philippians 3, there are many walk, many who walk, but he says they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. That's a lot today in the church. What can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? Because you know, it's about me. I'm central to the universe. And I want to know what I am going to get him or what you got to offer me. Because it's about me. That's how it goes on in the church with a lot of people. Let me get the material benefits, the physical things. I want all the benefits that they can give, but I don't want the one who gives the benefits. I want to be attached to the church. I want to receive the benefits of the church. But I don't want to be one who is in Christ Jesus. So, notice what Jesus says. Verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven. So, Jesus is telling them, which He says in verse 32, Moses didn't give you that bread. You see, they all of a sudden began, obviously, to say that Moses was the one that gave the bread. Moses was the one that provided that miracle. And Jesus said, it wasn't Moses. It's my father who gave that bread. And if you go back and you read in the book of Exodus chapter 16, you'll find where it says that God said to Moses, I will give you bread from heaven. But the misunderstanding again of the Pharisees began to attribute to Moses all of these things. So, in our text, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, I'm telling you, here's the truth. That's what he means, most assuredly. 
Amen, amen. Verily, verily. Here is the truth of the matter. Moses didn't give you anything. It's my Father who gave you the bread from heaven. And I am the one who is the true bread that comes down from heaven. So in other words, the manna was a sign that was to point them to their sustenance in the Redeemer, the bread of life. But natural men don't go there. Natural men can't go there. Natural men are stuck with the natural physical things. They can't get beyond the material. They come, they take the bread, they take the wine, and it stays right there. It stays on the table. That's as far as it goes. They don't think that this is a sign and a symbol of the work of Jesus Christ. This is not the sacrifice, but it's a sign to that sacrifice. These are the seals. And it causes us to look to what Christ has done in our place. He was condemned. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And that's symbolically what is demonstrated in the bread and the wine. And those who have faith go beyond the physical. Go beyond the temporal. We are those that ascend spiritually. We recognize the truth of the matter. We recognize the broken body, the shed blood. We recognize our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, this is the manna that became man. Uh, my, my, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. It's unmistakable. Notice what he says in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This verse already implies that there is no spiritual life in the world apart from Christ. That the world is spiritually dead. And it's Christ who gives Himself, who breaks His body, that they might have life. Now, let me ask you this. How is it when Jesus says, for the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. How do I get life from this bread? By what means does this bread of life, that I am the bread of life, does He give me life? And in what way do I have life? You continue reading in John chapter 6, you'll see Jesus saying, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Let me just say, those that don't have faith, the natural men, the religious unbelievers, that's as far as they can go. What is he talking about? What am I supposed to eat his arm? Am I supposed to drink his blood? Is that literal? Is that cannibalism? It's not what he was saying. You see, this weeds out, doesn't it? Those that are spiritually enlightened, spiritually, they've been raised up. They've been given new life. They understand by the working of the Spirit. He's not speaking literally of literally eating His flesh and drinking of His blood. It's spiritual sense. It's believing on Him. It's having faith in Him. That's how life comes, beloved. Life comes by believing on the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Life comes by trusting Him. Life comes by entrusting your life to Him. It's by embracing Him for who He is 
is the Messiah, God's Redeemer. Is that who you're believing in? Do you understand Him as the light of the world? Do you understand Him as the door? Definite article, the door. The only door to heaven. Christ. Do you understand Him as the Good Shepherd who gathers up His sheep, brings them into the fold, and feeds them, and nourishes them, and protects them, and provides for them, even unto everlasting life? Do you understand Him as the resurrection and the life? The One who is life, who gives life. The Father gives life to whom He wills, and the Son gives life to whom He wills. Do you understand Him as the way, the truth, and the life? That the only way that I can come to the Father is through the Son. Do you understand Him as the vine? And I am a branch who is united to Him. And therefore, since Christ is in me, I bear fruit. And that fruit remains. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. But nevertheless, I bear fruit to the glory of God. There is fruit to His honor and glory. Because He has done it. He has, by the working of the Spirit, caused me to bear forth fruit to His honor and glory. Are you trusting that, beloved? When you come and you take the bread and the wine, are you thinking about the Lamb of God who broke His body and shed His blood that you might have full, free, and final forgiveness with the Father because of the work of the Son imputed to you? Is that what you're believing? Is that what you're thinking upon? Is that what you're meditating upon? Or... Is it, you know what, I can't wait to hit a little bit of that wine. And the bread's a little bit stale. I wish you'd have some kind of other bread. Why don't they have some other bread? You know, as a matter of fact, I'm going to make a complaint about that at the next annual meeting. Why can't we have some other kind of bread? Because I don't like what you serve. Or do your thoughts ascend to heaven? Where Christ sits at the right hand of God and is there to be worshipped. You're recognizing him as the prophet, the priest, and the king. Your redeemer, who then gave his life as a ransom for your soul. That he knew no sin, but he became sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. Do you know him as the one who became a curse, that we might become a blessing? Do you know Him as the one who took upon Himself all of the sins of all of His people and suffered the inexpressible anguish, pains, and terrors of the cross and the wrath of God so that we might have life? Do you know Him as the one who took the curse of the covenant that we might receive the blessing of the covenant? Do you know Him as your Redeemer? Are you trusting Him as your Redeemer? Beloved, are you in the wheelbarrow? Have you entrusted yourself to this bread of life who gives life. He creates faith and brings us into union with Himself and we receive all of His benefits even as a branch united to the vine receives then the sap that comes from the vine and produces fruit. And they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread only. Give us this bread always. What what are they asking now? It's like the woman at the well. Jesus speaks about the water of life and she says, give me this water so I don't have to come down and keep drawing this water. She didn't understand what he's talking about. 
They don't know what he's talking about. They don't understand what he's saying here with regards to the bread of life. That I will give you life. I will give you forgiveness. I will reconcile you to the Father through my blood, through my perfection. I will bring you into union. I will make you acceptable. I will make you lovable in the sight of God. You will become lovely. You will become spotless as I cover and clothe you in my righteousness. They didn't get it. Again, it's filling the belly. Always wanting those temporal things. Where are you at this morning with regards the temporal and the spiritual? I'm not denying the physical things that we need. But there are things that we want that we don't need. And we become discontent because we don't have them. I'm asking you this, beloved. In your life, what do you spend most of your time doing? Seeking after the temporal, material things or seeking after the Lord? Is there a balance in your life at all? Knowing we need physical things, but at the same time knowing man doesn't live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Temporal things are important. They're not of chief importance. There's a priority for temporal things, but it's not the first and foremost in priority. Do we understand that? Can we make distinctions? Can we delineate? Can we prioritize? It's a good example of prioritizing. Sending a package. You go into the post office, you send a package, what do they ask you? When does it have to be there? They prioritize. If it needs to be there quicker. Or if you can wait a few days. What is most important in that? And so, with our lives, beloved, what is it? Take inventory of your life. You know, Paul tells us to take inventory. He tells us to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith, whether or not Christ dwells in us. If Christ doesn't dwell in you, you're not a branch in the vine. You have no life in you. You are disqualified. You are a religious unbeliever. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is not a perfect life. We're not practically perfect, but it is the direction of my life. It's the avenue that I am pursuing. It's the highway of holiness. I desire it. Not as I ought, but I desire it. The point is, an unbeliever doesn't desire the highway of holiness. He doesn't desire the Lamb of God. He doesn't desire the bread of life. He thinks he is okay by himself. I'm a good person. Look what I've done. I'm counting on myself as a confident person, a good person, a giving person to make myself right before God. That's a lot of people that come to the church. You will be damned. And to think that way demonstrates that you're under the wrath and curse of God. Beloved, why would you not eat of the bread of life that is given freely? Now let me lay out the table for you. And you put out the chairs and all around the table and the bread is set out there. And we do that today. Many restaurants you go to and they lay out the bread before they even bring any of the meal and people dig right into it, put the pot butter on it and it's accessible to all. Why would you not partake of that? The bread of life 
who gives his life for the world. He says, come. You heavy laden, you burden, come. I will give you life. I will give you rest. Come to me, Jesus said. Eat of me. Trust in me. Believe on me. And you will have life everlasting. Don't seek, as Jesus said to them, the bread that perishes. Seek that which wells up to everlasting life. Again, don't walk out saying, I said we're not supposed to work or labor. I didn't say that. I said, chief priorities in life. Bodily exercise profits how much? A little. A little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, to the life that now is and to that which is to come. But truth be told, the great vast majority of church members and people in this world for sure are chasing after the bodily exercise, thinking that profits everything. Jesus says the flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives life. We need the spiritual things, beloved. This body is going to the earth. It's going to the grave. Dust you are, dust you shall return. The soul goes on. God has created the soul immortal. It leaves this body and it continues in existence. It doesn't go back to the earth. It either goes to be with the Lord or it goes to hell waiting the great white throne judgment. Feed the soul. Nourish your soul. Pick up the words of life. In the words of Christ is life, beloved. He is life. His words are life-giving. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, Jesus said. So he said, I am the bread of life. If you come to him, you don't thirst and hunger spiritually. There is a spiritual hunger in this world that will not be satisfied. People run to and fro trying to fill the soul with material things that cannot fill the soul, beloved. They are looking for everything and anything. They buy this new and they're happy and content for a time. And then a ding or this happens or a little bit of rust and they move on to the next thing. Always looking for more and more to fill the void within the soul which Christ alone can fill. The bread of life can only fill it. And yet here is man hungering and thirsting. Every cry of the unbeliever along with the believer is a cry for eternity. It's a cry for paradise. It's a cry to not be in a war-torn, sin-cursed world. It's a cry to not have the problems and difficulties and pain and sorrow and sickness and fighting. It's a pain. It's a cry. And all men cry. They all cry out for it. It's a spiritual hunger. It's a thirst. Now let's go back to the table. Christ is right there. Come. Come. You're hungry, you're thirsty, and I will give you life. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And in me, you find rest for your soul. And that's what he says. You never hunger and you never thirst. Why? Because you believe on him. He satisfies the longing of the soul. Man is restless, Augustine said. Man is restless until he finds his rest in thee. It's so simple, but it's so profound. I can say, and I can confidently say, 
And I can boldly say, because it's the work of the Lord. And I'm boasting in the Lord my God. I don't have a spiritual hunger in the sense that I'm looking for more and more to satisfy the goings on of the soul. The bread of life, the pearl of great price, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life, the door, the living water. He has brought rest to the soul. And He's offered to all. Come. Come and eat. Come and partake. Come and believe. And you will have life everlasting. What a wondrous Savior. What a wondrous example, demonstration, sign and symbol in the Lord's Supper. The bread is there and it satisfies the hunger. And that's who Christ is. Come, beloved, come and let him satisfy the longing of your soul. Come as believers. Come as you who are struggling with difficulties because you have not picked up the word. You haven't done what you know you need to do. And you will know the truth abiding in His Word and His Word gives you life. There's freedom and life in His name. You will know the truth that sets you free from the lies of this world saying, more, more, you've got to have more. People run for a perishable crown and they get it and they say, what's next? What now? What now? What do we do now? What do you do when you conquer the highest mountain? What do I do now? Where do I go from here? It's vain. It's grasping after the wind. It's futile. Satisfaction, comfort, contentment is found in one. And His name is Jesus. And He's the bread that satisfies the soul. Come to Him, beloved. Come and believe. Receive. And you will not hunger and thirst any longer. Amen. Shall we pray?